0: Talk about games. I'm your co host, Mango. And I am your co host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Before we do that, buddy, we want just live, I want you to know what it is for you on this podcast.
1: Well, on this podcast, we only talk about the most timely superhero movie news. There's definitely no more important superhero movies that have come out and are like the biggest movie of the year and everything.
0: <laughs> like, def- definitely not. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the reason we're late on this one is because Buddy made me watch all the Fast and Furious movies. So this is your fault, That's Buddy. true.
1: <laughs> this is my fault. That is, that is accurate.
0: <laughs> no, we were, we were thinking about doing this combined with Spider-Man, but I wasn't able to see it because I am an idiot. I will take this one on myself. I bought tickets and everything to go see it on Friday night and then realized I had a meeting at the end of the day. Um, that would have overlapped to start time. So... <laughs> 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 uh, <coughs> So we're just gonna do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, um, which uh, you know, as is our standard, we'll do give you our pre-spoiler impressions before we get into spoilers. Buddy, what did you think of this movie?
1: I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Actually, uh, that's not true. I did not love every minute. This this movie took a while to really get on board for me, but I came away with very positive impressions. I guess is what I used to say. Um, my biggest takeaway from this one is how crazy it felt watching this. And, uh, like, in... I, I did not... It's sort of like... I don't know. It's almost like a frog-boiling sort of, like, moment or whatever. right? Where I just kind of didn't realize how much I was sort of starved for this kind of, um, you know... I don't know. This kind of a superhero movie. Um, and I just feel like I haven't had one in years. Uh, and, Yeah. It was it was really good. I really liked reconnecting with these characters. I'm very glad that the lore felt uh not I, I want to say grounded, even though it is the opposite of grounded. It was grounded in the story of the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Um something that I think has maybe been affecting Marvel for a while. We could talk a little bit more about this when it comes to sort of like deeper stuff, is the ways in which there is no big crossover that's being worked towards like there was with Thanos, right? Um, and how the the sort of simultaneous lack of direction but forceful inclusion of these other sorts of pieces of the, you know, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, have kind of weighed down the stories which are at their core about, you know, like relatable characters doing, you know, tough, hard, heroic things, right? Guardians of the Galaxy just has none of that. There is very little, uh, as far as I could see, that was, like, indicative of the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's no cool teases or whatever. There's no, you know, n- n- next time this person is coming back doing this. Th-. It's just, like, none of that stuff. It is just these are characters that you like doing their stuff to take a look at their story. That's what matters. Um, and I really miss that, I guess uh, about the about the MCU. so I don't know I'm fucking I had a great time.
0: Yeah, I will agree. I had a fantastic time at this movie. Um, I will agree with you it took a little while to get me on board. I found some of the acting especially early to be a little bit wooden out of some of the characters, um, but that kind of all blended into the background relatively quickly um, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I cried several times during this movie. Some of that was just kind of like um. Some of it was like feelings bait, right? Um, and I'm particularly susceptible to that. But you know, it made me feel the feelings. So you know, um, I thought it was uh, pretty good. Um, I'll give it my uh, my stamp of approval. Um, it was a it was a a lot of fun. Um, do I have anything else general pre spoiler to say for? Um, you know. Uh, something I think this movie did particularly well that we can get into without really doing spoilers is um and this is what these I think these movies are kinda of known for is like great use of licensed music, right? Like James like you know, that's kind of a theme, right? Like um less kind of pure text, right? Like in the first two volumes, um, Star Lord uh has um you know, like, it re- like, the first one especially revol- revol- revolves kind of around his, his cassette tape that he got from his mom. And that kind of gets updated. And he gets a zoom at the end of the last one. And um, uh, there is definitely, that definitely shows up here. But it's not nearly as integral. But the, I think the, um, the licensed music definitely is super integral. Um, uh, and it's super well done. And I want to give it a big thumbs up for that. Um, but otherwise, I think we should get into spoilers for specifics, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is your spoiler warning. Spoilers regarding the Galaxy Volume 3, also, probably 2 in 1 and uh, you know, other aspects of the MCU up to this point. Um, so, I have your warning. But uh, before we get to the spoiler warning, something I wanted to say um, just to follow on to your point. It's first time one of these. Mar- this is, I think, the best Marvel movie, at least since the pandemic, probably longer. But. Um, you know, uh, and so I want to give, you know, this – if you are someone who got tired of the cape shit, as I kind of started like started to do, um, I think this yep. one's worth a watch. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: I absolutely agree with that, uh, especially because it is remarkably unstructured like a cape shit movie, uh, yeah. which I thought was interesting, right? There's – I mean, there is a big man, and he is doing things, but most of the plot is motivated – almost entirely by personal sort of relationships and stakes right yeah. like the, and and this is part of what felt so refreshing the the impetus of this is not oh here's some new big villain in town and he's doing something big and evil the impetus of this is our friend is hurt and he might die if we don't figure out how to save his life and that was just like what a revelation right <laughs> you know like so a character i care about is hurt and they, and they need to go on an adventure in order to like find the macguffin that'll save his life right
0: so um so yeah. this is i think this is, this is important i'm gonna put this, the hard spoiler warning here because i think the direct comparison is ant-man Qu- uh, Qu- quantum mania um oh interesting because because and so again this here's your here's your hard spoiler wall right um uh, so, you know, so, like, both movies start out relatively similar, right? Like, a little bit of intro and then straight into the fucking conflict, right? Like, Adam Warlock shows up and, like, beats the shit out of Rocket and they need to go find the McGovern. Similarly, um, they get sucked down into the, the Quantum Zone. And that's, like, to your point, like, the difference is, is that Kang is this, like, potentially, like, world-altering villain where this is just kind of, like, they want to help out Rocket, right? Like, almost to the point where, like, Towards the end, it's a little bit absurd because, like, you know, there is literally a world-ending event that just happens, right? Mostly off-screen, right? Like, literally an entire yeah. Earth, counter-Earth, is destroyed, um, and uh, we don't really care about it so much, right? Like, um, uh, because it is about this these personal level sticks. I think that's, like, a, a weird, like, that pinged me intellectually, like, I, I knew that that was a little bit weird that we were looking at that, but ultimately, you know, it's kind of like, this is kind of just, I guess, how, how cosmic scale stuff happens, right? Like, the cosmic level stories happen, is you kind of don't care because it's not Earth, um, even if it kind of looks like Earth, but, uh, you know. Um, uh, but I, I thought that was, I thought that, I thought it was super interesting, like you said, that it was very personal stakes. Like, the high evolutionary, like, we, like, All other things considered, we don't really need to care about him, at least, you know, potentially, like, not yet. Like, there's a version of this story where, like, you know, he gets away, and in, like, seven years, he's the big bad. But, like, you know, he's not. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, That was a big, that was, like, a big thing for me, was how personal the stakes were. And that there didn't need to be any kind of, um, I feel like there's a certain level sort of, of, like, heavy-handedness that gets layered on top of these movies sometimes, right? Um, where you kind of don't have to do that, right? Even on even with movies that I think have really tremendous villains um, or, like, world-ending stakes and conflicts that I think are good, typically they spend a lot of time kind of setting out these, like, personal, you know, like, these very personal questions. Um, and that seems to be the case with what, you know, Guardians was, was doing here, right? The core conflict for the first two-thirds of the movie is just, can they figure out a way to save Rocket's life before before he dies. Um, and then interspersed with this, you're getting these flashbacks to, like, Rocket's incredibly depressing backstory. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, simultaneously depressing, but also, like, horrifying in a way that is just, like, like, left me in, like, a visceral just place. Like, oh my God, the horror that was being included sort of next to it was the juxtaposition that really got me it's like the horror next to the wholesome kind of cuteness and you know this is going to end poorly you know there's no way this ends well which i actually think is a really interesting use of a flashback right because typically one of the things that people talk about when they talk about flashbacks is like oh the flashback isn't interesting because you know the results of it to a certain extent right this was an example of the flashback was interesting specifically because you know the results of it. You know they don't get a happy ending, right? Yeah. That these are four kind of like animal hybrid test subject things who are going to have some terrible thing happen to them because when we meet Rocket, he's alone.
0: I was saying, And I just like the best ending oh. you can hope for is that they're still trapped on the ship. Right, Like that he had to leave them behind and he promised to mm. come back for them. And uh, it is so, so much worse. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Right? Cause yeah.
1: I mean, part of it is just like, I don't want to like, I don't know how to like, they because they're animals, but they're also sort of smart, but like clearly all of them, except for maybe Lila, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Lila is her name, right? Yes. The yeah, yeah. Otter. Yeah. Lila. Okay. Maybe Lila is kind of like on Rocket's level or whatever, um, but Floor and Teeth, uh, Teeths, w- uh, yeah, are clearly like dumber. You yeah. know, dumber is a, a word. Worse, like childlike is really what it. Yeah, what it is, and, and right? I think
0: that's part of it too. Is right, is that they are like like children, right? Like, and that's yeah. part of what makes it so.
1: And so it is like the the just like the, the it's it's this concoction, right of body horror because like teeth like eyes are sewn open and you can see it and it's just like (laughs) right (coughs) or the way that um floor has this like clamp over her mouth um and has to sort of uh you know like speak with this speaker that is just kind of like enunciating she's um, kind of
0: like the um the baby head spider from toy story like that, oh my
1: like, god! Yeah,
0: that was like the thing uh, I really thought of because she's also got like spider, a spider like limbs, right? Like they're mechanical, but yeah, um, yeah.
1: But I, but but they're also cute, fuzzy animals, and they're also childlike and innocent, right? And it's just like all of that together. Just like I don't know. I I think it dodged the the you know. There's there's certain things that will sort of trigger my manipulation. Switch, let's say, right? Um, Like, I've described this before in Pixar films sometimes. uh, Like, in Inside Out, there's the moment with the imaginary friend um, where, you know, he is, like... Tailor made to pull on your heartstrings, and that immediately disconnects my heartstrings. Right? It's like, oh, I see what you're doing. Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but because, like, I don't know. This is just different. I was bought into the, you know, to the story and to the to the experience, um, and it just felt, you know, like new in a way that oh
0: god i
1: holy shit so i i did not have a a good time with 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 that section
0: so uh something that i think this is like i want to say this is like the best use of a trailer right because like there's a shot in the trailer of raccoon uh, of rocket and lila hugging right and so like the whole time i'm like Oh, you know, and like, you know, I had seen it a little while ago and, and you, if you know what you're looking for, you can tell he's younger, but like, it's not super obvious. Right. So I'm like, oh, they're going to meet up at some point where they're going to be reunited maybe. Right. And then the hug happens like immediately. It's like, oh no. Oh no. And it's like two seconds later is when, when she gets shot. Right. Like it's like perfect, perfect fucking trailer bait. Right. Like, you know, and I, I I just want to. Out that it's like a very effective use of kind of like baiting out that emo- like you know u- using the trailer effectively to kind of like mislead and like rug pull in a very very effective and i think a very a positive like i want i want to give them props for that right cuz like you know um i thought that was pretty good uh and it got me right like that was you know just and i i got to give um props to what's this actor's name his name is chakuti Oh, oh, I see. For for the high evolutionary. Yeah. He did a great job of just being fucking out of his gourd, right? Like, um, he sold it, he sold it, and, like, I don't know. I feel like, like, almost scenery-chewing Lee, but, like, in a good way, right? Like, in, in a way that, like, didn't, like, it felt over the top, but it felt authentic, right? It didn't feel like he was, like, like, chewing the scenery usually feels like you're overacting, right? Here, it felt like, it felt... Authentic to the character, um, in a way that like uh, really kind of like hit home, right? Like I, you know, he, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a really good job done by him. I think he was probably one of the better actors in the uh, in the in the whole film, right? Like, um, like I said, I, I I found like part of it is Sometimes it's hard because like you know, uh, Drax, uh, Mantis, and Nebula are all supposed to be a little bit wooden by design, and sometimes it kind of gets muddled with like. What I think it's not the greatest performance, but you know. Um uh yeah, I just, I it, it I started did a really excellent job. Yeah.
1: No, I agree with you. Um I wish I there there's nothing that's stuck in my head in the same way that like blow that piece of junk out of the sky sticks in my head. Or even just like that is what you've taken from me, right? Like the line that that, that Zod says, right? Just like there there are some of these. Uh, a scenery-chewing villain is perfect bait to just stick in my brain for the rest of my fucking life, apparently. Um, and weirdly, he dodged that. I can't think of anything that the High Evolutionary said that just like, b- like imprinted itself on my cortex, and I'm never going to let it go. Um, but I also just think that he had an interesting... One of the things that was neat about it... Is he just is an unapologetic, straightforward villain? Yeah, right. Um, which I have also been thirsting for in a lot of ways. I th- like. I talked about this in the No Way Home stuff, but and we're doing the Flash this week. Hope to God this works out. I have a huge problem with the sort of multiversal meta ethics that are that are being played by a lot of these superhero movies, um, kind of at the moment. Uh, With No Way Home and with um, Multiverse of Madness kind of being, like, top tier in this problem uh, in a lot of ways. In the sense that, like, it is, um, you know, like a typical superhero movie is a story of selfishness to selflessness, right? But we've kind of ditched that. And now we're doing this sort of, like, superhero trolley problem on a cosmic scale, right? Which I just kind of loathe in all of its forms Uh, because I just don't think that it makes for good or compelling kind of either like a good or compelling, like thematic underpinning to some of these superhero movies um, or a good or compelling underpinning to like characters and their motivations and that kinds of kind of thing. Right. Um, And, uh, and it was just really refreshing that we just kind of got a classic villain archetype, right? This is a uncaring, you know, piece of shit who, looks at everything as a Lego brick to try and create his perfect universe. He is motivated by that simple core belief. I want to create perfection, and when things are not perfect, I throw them in the incinerator, and I don't give a fuck, you know, whether or not they are living, thinking beings that deserve some form of empathy from me, right? Um And... I'm undone by my own hubris, right? I get obsessed with the raccoon who is smarter than me, um, and it torches my entire empire, right? I bring it crumbling to the ground because I am so consumed with the insecurity, right, that this raccoon saw something that I didn't and fixed a problem that I couldn't, right? Um, be, Be just beautiful, simple, storytelling. I mean, simple is the wrong word. It's not simple. It's actually pretty complex. It's just... Straightforward. Like yeah straightforward and like well worn right we understand this character archetype kind of in the same way this is the same sort of compliment I've given about Aquaman and Orm a million times right straightforward story we've seen it this is the Excalibur story in Rocket's case right this is a a, a story about a villain with too much hubris right He he is undone by his hubris and his inability to change this is super super core storytelling stuff and I am all here for it because I feel like we have been circling this stupid fucking drain about when is it right to change the future can we sacrifice one person for billion it's just like i fucking shoot me like i i don't ever want to have to deal with that right um and i just kind of appreciate that we just sidestepped all of this stuff we didn't deal with any of it right and th- and this is also true by the way of other like pieces of cosmic bullshit that's happening in marvel um as well right like not just kind of multiverse stuff uh with kind of like kang right but it just dodges everything right we're not dealing with scrolls we're not dealing with captain marvel we're not dealing with the this the the kree empire you know we're just we're not dealing with any of that stuff, um, which just kind of leaves this story to be its own thing. It is self contained, it is not being intruded upon by the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, except for one glaring example that I will talk about. Um, and the and that that works great, that works fine. Um, as a comics reader, this is kind of my this is kind of my final, really, really my final thing as a comics reader it feels like going back to my core comics story after a crossover, because something that happens when you're reading monthly books and comics, right. Um, is basically every year there's a big momentous crossover and that crossover splinters out into a million individual books, right? So civil war is maybe the best example of this with civil war. Right. Here is this big thing that's happening in the Marvel Cinematic or in the Marvel Universe. Right. And your comic, your favorite comic, no matter as big, you know, a flagship title like Spider Man, right? Or a tiny little small title like, I don't even know, uh, X Factor. Right. They're all kind of impacted by Civil War. This is typically seen as a good thing. There are times when this is a good thing. Right. But most of the time, what tends to happen is your. Small story is yanked out of kind of its place in the universe and thrust into this other story that feels unnatural, that interrupts everything, that just kind of gets in the way, right? And then after a couple of issues, it goes back to the small sort of spot in the universe that it's supposed to be in, and all is sort of right in the world, right? Guardians 3 feels like the moment of going back to the spot in the universe where we don't have to care about what Iron Man is doing in the Avengers books. We can just care about these characters that we've connected to. Right. Um, and so, I don't know. That's my big, that's like my, my big spiel.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and, and to your point about uh, just, I, I guess about like the, um, the kind of straightforwardness of, of the high evolutionary, like to your point, I don't think anything he particularly said um, stuck in my head, but like just that moment at the end where he's just like raging and screaming at Rocket while throwing him around, right? Like that that kind of moment, right? Because I, I think that's like, you know, that is that that's like when like the 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 you know the, the mask comes off both figuratively and literally, right? Like, oh yeah. Um, because like, um, you know, up until this point, there's at least like this possibility that's it's like it's not just that he's it, it's not not actually that he he's smarter it's that he had an original thought right and that's something unique that the high evolutionary needs needs because he can't replicate that in other species right um but it is revealed that it, it, it is that you know the high evolutionary thinks that rocket thinks he's better than him and that's what that's what has infuriated him so and that that, that is what has like driven him on this like careening path path uh path of destruction right like yep. um yeah, so I, I, I absolutely agree with you one hundred and ten percent there, um, and I think I think just to kind of like bring it back to my point about quantum mania, right? Like, quantum mania felt like it was like basically nothing but set up for Kang, right? In a lot of ways, mm. um, and uh, that was like you know it, it, you know it, it's it's inter- like, you know, like you said through through kind of like a reverse mirror because like you know it is you know ostensibly about personal stakes mostly, right? It's about um, Scott getting his daughter back. Um, from Kang, right, uh, with a little bit of like neat stuff thrown in, but it's all in service of setting of of setting Kang up uh, for his whole bit, right? Like his whole his whole nonsense bit. So, um,
1: yeah, I you know it's interesting because you're right. Uh, theoretically, there are personal stakes to both movies, but for some reason, Scott wanting to get his daughter back and the team wanting to save Rocket's life just feel. Completely different to me. One of them feels very inauthentic, and the other feels very authentic. Actually, yeah. is kind of what I would say.
0: Well, so I I think part of it is that like, the rocket like, the high evolutionary is like, in the way of them saving, rocket right like like the primary goal is to save rocket. Whereas like, you know, but for the concerns about Kang, they could kind of like figure out how to get out, right? Like it, it, if even though they're they're similar. Arcs. It, it feels like the, the the emphasis is reversed, right? Like Chris Pratt, or not Chris Pratt, Star Lord doesn't give a shit about the high evolutionary, right? Like pretty pretty openly and pretty pretty directly, right? They don't even like interact for like ninety five percent of the movie, right? He he's just like the the thing that's in the way that that is that is blocking the means to the end of saving Rocket, right? Whereas like Kang is like the primary focus, kind of like, and they are forced to interact with him. Because of uh, because he's, he's captured Scott's daughter, not kind of the other way around. Like he, I'm, I'm not I'm not uh, articulating this well, but it's it's kind of like the driving force is, is actually very different, even though kind of surface level they seem kind of similar. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've got a if you've got any more thoughts on that, but you know I, I
1: yeah uh, I don't know I guess I, I I see what you're saying I I agree I don't yeah. have any I don't have any more complicated thoughts there. Uh, the one thing I will mention. Um, going back to that thing I said about where the Marvel Cinematic Universe does butt in its head is with Gamora. Um There's oh, yeah. this thing with Gamora. This is where the movie is at its absolute worst, and I hate it. I, I Actually, to be fair, I, I like the moment itself. I think that it is required, but it's required in the same way that like you cauterize a wound, right? When... You have to, like, cut cut off someone's gangrenous arm, okay? Um, It is the best that you can make out of a bad situation. I did not quite conceptualize the damage that Infinity War and Endgame did to the Guardians of the Galaxy until this movie where they, you know, it is really difficult to get Gamora back into the story, and when it does... The whole momentum of the plot stops dead in its tracks in order to sit there and have to explain the, you know, like what happened, right? And also try and work it like a, you know, star shaped peg into a round hole, right? Uh, into something that can resolve the ongoing tension with. Star-Lord and the Guardians in general, right? Um there's just there's just no way there's just like no way to do that well. Um and so like I said they kind of just had to sit there and take it. They had to cauterize the wound. They had to just like create a bunch of scar tissue. Kind of made the best that out of the situation. I don't think that there's a world where it would have been better to leave Gamora unsaid because like it's such an important part of Star-Lord's character, yeah. right? And he is so obsessed with it, right? Um, but I just like, I don't know. I feel like James Gunn got just dealt a real, like a, like a, like, you know, two, seven off suit, right?
0: Uh, so what are I, you going to do with this? <laughs> I, I don't think it's quite that bad. Like, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but I think there is a version of the story, like without, without, without you know, most of those shenanigans were like, you know, Gamora just dies, right? Like, you know, and Peter has oh, to yeah, with the brief, yeah, the right? Like that, that, that is clear. Clearly, what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to spin the classic kind of like Peter has to go through the you know the stages of grief to deal with Gamora, um, and the twist here is that Gamora's there, right? It's just like not the one he knows, right? Like, um, and so um, it's I think it's an interesting thing, but like, like you said, because the mechanics of how that happened are integral to the meta, like the the meta part of the MCU, um, it kind of like causes a bunch of weirdness to happen, right? And because like like there is maybe a version of this where like she came back in this movie right like or something right like you know um you know there would be the trailer moment where like you know it's like you know like he's you know like he's he's looking around and like the character the, you know, character turns around and it's Gamora and that's the big mystery for this movie no that happened in a previous movie but they actually have to deal with the resolution like normally you would do that kind of like revealing resolution within its own movie and I think the bad part is that the reveal happens in the pre- happens in a previous movie that is also like, you know, four or five years ago at this point, right? Like, um, and you know, can't like and also in like not a direct like this isn't happening in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. This happened in a movie that you can't reasonably ex- like you can you can reasonably expect people to like kind of know what happened in Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy of Alien 2 you can't really reasonably expect people to know what happened in all of these other fucking movies right so you're divorcing the reveal that she's back from the actual resolution of that problem right like and then I think that that's where the biggest trip up is right because I, I I do think there's like an interesting nub there it's just like you said, it has to be a screeching halt because of, like, the, the weird execution problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I never want to be a person that says that there's no good way to do this. I believe in the ingenuity of writing, right? There is a good way to do anything, no matter what it is, right? Yeah. There is no idea too stupid that you can't have a good enough writer make it good, right? Um, right. <clears throat> But uh, there are some writing problems that are harder than others, and this one sure. is pretty pretty tough. I do think a, wor- a version of things where just Gamora's fucking dead. That's it. That's the resolution, sure. right? Uh, she dies in Infinity War, and we don't do any of this stuff with her fucking other universe, t- or other, not even other universe, other timeline doppelganger is probably a better cleaner way to have done this whole thing um but in a world in which they set up that gamora comes back but is fake gamora with no memories in endgame there's I like oh god it's just so hard to get around that that sort of issue um and it just really ground this story to a halt to have to kind of like deal with some of that and explain some of that stuff um you know, like there's a whole scene in the, in an elevator where he's like laying it out, and I could tell that what they're trying to do is is like James Gunn wants to make it a joke, right? Oh, I'm going to explain the really complicated plot mechanics here really fast because that kind of overcomplication is funny. Um, but I don't know, it just was not funny. I found I found it really obtrusive and I hated every second of it.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was fun for what it was, but I get what you're saying, right? Like, it, it would have been better if it didn't have... Like, and I think I agree with you. I think best option is she dies and he's just dealing with the grief kind of, like, in isolation, right? Second best is she comes back in this movie rather than coming back in Endgame, right? Um, uh, third best is, you know, you have someone competent try and do it, which is what kind of what happened here, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, there so... For to your point, something that I thought was interesting though was like you are right. There's not a lot of like meta MCU stuff, but there are a lot of like weird cameos, right? Like I think every character that has been in a Guardians movie that's still in canon alive shows up in this movie at some point, right? Like there's the poker game with like Howard the Duck and the Collector and like yep. four other characters that I thought was fun. Um, and uh, what was the there There's another one a piece of this that now is. Uh, uh, oh, apparently Pete Davidson was in this movie. If and like um, the other person I'm thinking of is um Nathan Fillion plays like the head security guard, right? Like if it, it feels like it felt like this and what was the end? I I think it was Fast X is what I'm thinking of. Is like you know it feels like there's just like a ton of cameos because people want to be part of this thing, right? Like which I don't know how I feel about that, right? Like the the characters I'm more okay with like you know Nathan Fillion as like. Always, you know, Captain Reynolds, right? That's the character's name, Firefly, right? Like Nathan mm-hmm. Villian is destined to be a cameo because everybody loved Firefly, but it only got six episodes or whatever, right? Like um, even though he has been on, I think it's called The Rookie for like much longer than Firefly everyone on. I don't think anybody, at least in kind of like the nerd universe. Yeah, first about he was show. on Castle, then he was on The Rookie. Oh, um. oh I thought those were the same show. You, you saying Castle reminded me. Yeah, they're not the same
1: they show. are two different. They are two different shows.
0: Um, yeah, but you know he's he's long past Firefly, but that's like still he's still you know Firefly man to everybody. Um, yeah, um, do you, you have any thoughts about like that, that, that kind of stuff like the cameo aspect or whatever just cuz it felt like there was a lot right um, mm-hmm. um i like it from the
1: it, it certain certain movies earn this certain movies don't um and um the guardians movies in my opinion have very much earned this um and that is okay uh you know what i mean like also i would say like the fast and furious movies have earned this but the there are some movies that don't earn this and i think are funny honestly one of them is Transformers. Uh, I saw Transformers Rise of the Beast over this weekend. Not a super great film but there's some stuff in there that is like kind of in the same sort of level and it's a little wild to be honest Uh, Bumblebee does this this same sort of thing Um, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies when they were still being made I guess was also a similar sort of thing where it's like there are movies that care about continuity that I'm like who is this for who is the person who really cares about the like underlying world building and logic of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies right or the Transformers movies right who is the person who's there who's like oh my god that's agent simmons from sector 7 he's back it's like who what no one cares no one cares about that stuff right um and uh you know i don't know so yeah i felt like basically everything was fine with 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 this stuff um especially because it's all, it's all treated with like reverence which i which i appreciate quite a lot right yeah yeah no, um, in the same way that i appreciate the like sincerity behind fast and furious
0: yeah speaking speaking of fast and furious there was a mo- there was a moment that I was kind of mad because it's just like this terrible missed opportunity. When it's when um, uh, it's who is it? It's Nebula, Star Lord, and Groot are driving to the uh, uh, driving to the pyramid with the High Evolutionary, um, and he's he's like failing. Chris is, or uh, Star Lord's failing to drive, right? Mm-hmm. And he says to Nebula, "Do you want to drive? I so badly." wanted Groot to say I am Groot and so I would say something like you know what are you talking about a quarter mile at a time or something like that (laughs) (laughs) since it's Vin Diesel right like I thought I I was like oh come on right like also like you know it's also like a very kind of like family movie and there's like you know family that you make movie and there's like no reference to that it's it was right there it was right there and they didn't they, they didn't take it they didn't take it um but you know uh but, you know, that, that that's just me wanting... This is just you poisoning my brain with Fast and Furious references that I want to see in everything now. Um, uh, but, yeah. Um, so, uh, what, what else is there? Um, I actually... So, something that I did appreciate was the uh, the kind of high evolutionary world-building aspect, right? Like, the... Um, you know, beyond how it directly influenced the plot, the idea that he's, like... Like, he builds this, like, furry world, right? And, like... You know, them not being aggro monsters isn't enough because they just turn into, like, people with, like, you know, different animal forms, right, um, with all the problems that those have. Um, and I thought, I thought, I thought the um, kind of subtle world building there was pretty good. Like, I, like you know, I wouldn't say it's quite um, John Wick levels, but it's pretty, I, I think it's pretty good. I I think all the implied stuff in there was, like, really interesting and kind of a treat because you don't always get that, right? You've got a lot of, like, text and you get a lot of kind of, like, whoa, isn't it crazy that these things are happening? And, uh, you know, they're kind of happy to let, like, everything be inferred and sit in place and not have, like, a thousand questions about it. So I thought that was cool. Um, Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I don't know. There, there's something really unique about the world building here that I don't know how to really wrap my head around. Um, it is a uniquely James Gunn thing because I think it has also bled into uh, specifically the Suicide Squad, right? Which also yeah. had this kind of level of like the world sort of works on Looney Tunes logic in certain ways, but that's okay. And I don't know how to thread that needle. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah? No, I, I I agree. Um uh yeah. Uh so you you have uh any other parts of this that you uh you want to talk about? It's a long movie, right? Like
1: Yeah, um, that's true. Um I I want to talk a little bit about I guess some of the action th- okay. that was that was on screen. This is not something this is you know, this is not something I think has ever been a really a strong suit of the Guardians movies. Um but I will say um even though I think the action was generally pretty bad um, and not super interesting, uh, one thing that, that this movie did pretty great was showcase superpowers in a way that I feel like I haven't seen in a long time. Um, you know, where... Like, something that used to happen in a lot of older sort of movie... Like, like superhero movies, right? Like, kind of the, the first generation of superhero movies in the early 2000s. It was, like, a little more of a, a focus on, like, cool uses of superpowers in ways that, like, we wouldn't otherwise think or do. Yeah, and that stuff, uses, I think, has yeah. been... Yeah. But, like, Nebula's arm... Being able to, like, change forms gets used all the time in this. And I thought that was really sort of um, cool and sort of neat. Uh, this is where we get to see um, Rocket's, uh, like, kind of ingenuity on, on display, right? Where he can kind of craft anything out of anything, right? Um, and uh, and I thought that was really cool and really neat. Um, Mantis is doing some better, more interesting stuff that I think that she was doing with kind of her emotional manipulation powers. Um, it was basically being just sort of used as like a sleep touch spell in uh, in like Avengers Infinity War. But here, you know, she does some, uh, you know, comedic stuff with it, uh, but also just some like useful stuff with it. Um, that's like, oh, hey, I understand how a person who has this kind of power set can do something, you know, Fundamentally useful for
0: us here right Um and I just think that stuff Is cool and I wanted to call it out Because I liked it yeah group group gets his Like kaiju omen and his uh And his uh his wings and Uh oh yeah mm-hmm. Um I will say that um I well I generally agree with you the the action Wasn't spectacular um I do think the uh, I'm a sucker For like uh fight scene to music And I think the scene they did with that I thought was Really good the uh the kind of like you know um i'm gonna call it the kingsman style scene just because like i think that's like the 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 kind of the the, the famous modern the trope originator yeah. yeah yeah um what was the song they did what, it, was what free, was it? it was free it was Freebird in kingsman i don't remember what it was in this one uh, it was beastie boys it was um oh you're right yeah. yeah yeah it was beastie boys uh again a great use of uh great use of uh licensed music um Right. you know i have to say this has sort of been a
1: a poster year for kind of like good use of like licensed music um i was i talked we talked about it in the fast and furious right where they use the far side uh song to sort of um set up like that car that, that car from like the 90s with john cena um i don't know there's some there's some other stuff in transformers and in spider verse that also you know is is neat when it comes to the use of music uh I wonder. Are we? I guess we're. I guess we're. We're taking cues. We're figuring it out, kind of like the pop. You know, pop music as soundtrack, um, which is, which is neat.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, and you know, um, I'm. I'm sure that. I'm sure that Barbie will at least have one usage of the Barbie song, right, Barbie girl. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, you know. Uh, you want to talk about like the um the the, the heartstring moments in this because like like i said like there were a bunch of moments that like like the the scene where rocket is is dying and like going towards the light and lila turns him around and like and uh star lord is like you know like i'm not going to not going to lose him like that like got me that really got me um i i, I cried i'm not afraid to admit it um
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely cried during this movie, but I did see it a month ago, so I can't kind of uh, I yeah. kind of don't remember where. I it must have been that moment, right, when they were working really hard, when when it looked like Rocket was like going to fucking die. Because um, I, th- to be honest, I thought he was. I thought he was gonna die. Uh, because I don't know why I was convinced of this, uh, but I just felt like I don't know. Maybe it's just really good storytelling that they kind of they kind of got me with that one. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I don't know offhand what I would say is the best way to make these sort of heartstring moments work. Right. Um, But, I don't know, they just, they they worked. a lot of this is just kind of like the emotional baggage that I was able to build up over the, you know, over the, like, the two preceding movies. Like, I get that these characters care about each other, right? Um, And maybe, I like, I don't even know that I want to say this, because I don't believe it. I don't think Chris Pratt is a really good actor, but maybe he's just a good enough actor that he sold me on that.
0: Um, So, I I don't think Chris Pratt is, like, the greatest actor, but I think he's good at... Uh, at a handful of different things, and like you know like I think he he sells like genuine caring pretty well, right, like you know like um especially when he's like live acting right like i I won't speak to his kind of like uh uh you know what maybe I don't believe that, but it works well in guardians for whatever reason right, like maybe James's is of good enough director there, but I also thought like like you know I thought he like was good at being um andy in parks and rec and i think he's good at being star lord um i don't know if that's direction or just him caring enough like because i didn't think he was great in the jurassic park movies like he's like one of these actors that's like in everything now for whatever reason yeah like um i didn't think his portrayal of super mario was particularly inspiring or anything um uh so i don't know chalk it up to direction talking chalk it up to him like caring about certain things not about others just the writing
1: is good enough yeah. you know that that it kind
0: of carries it um but like I, I, yeah I, I don't know if it's like saying caring carry maybe it's like
1: hmm.
0: maybe it's kind of i feel like star lord and andy are like basically the same character right like you know star lord is like a fitter andy in space right like um, and maybe he's just like good at that character. Maybe it's close enough to who Chris Pratt is as a person, right? Like that—that that he can—that he can sell it. And like the other roles are just not because, um, like, I don't think he does it. Like that's that's good writing, and that it's written to the actor, not necessarily good writing. in, in kind of like, like I, I don't think it's solely on the writing. But I also agree with you that I don't think he's like the, the world's greatest actor. Yeah, I, like you
1: that. know what I you know what I think it is. I think the 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 bar for sort of excellence is on the writing. It's not on the the, the actor. I kind of feel like most reasonably accomplished act, like like any anybody who is a good actor could sell this right um it is on the str- it is on the back of the writing and the directing to create the moment right to put a reasonable actor in there you probably could have done this with most people like most you know i don't know movie leading men You could put Chris Pine in here and it would have been fine. You could put, you know, Chris Hemsworth in here and it would have been fine, right? Like, I don't think there's anything that's particularly unique about Chris Pratt. I don't think that he is stretching to any kind of, um, uh, you know, like heights of acting skill. But you do need somebody of, like, a kind of minimum quality in order to get it done. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I... I I think about it a little bit of like in kind of like a slightly different causality because I think you're mostly right like I think there is a version of this played by Chris Prime. I think it's very different, but I think the writing thing here is that it is written for Chris Pratt and it's written well for Chris Pratt, so Chris mm, Pratt can mm. like you know be his best Chris Pratt self um yeah a like
1: War. a real part of this that I think is valuable um that I don't know how to uh capture. I guess um, is the duality of grief, right? That he is already kind of grieving Gamora in real time. Right. And, being put in this position where he is terrified he's going to have to, I think that's the thing that makes it such a good moment, right? Um, it's those two things kind of layered right on top of one another. Um, and that's sort of what I mean when I say it's like it's like good writing. It's like good directing, right? Like it's putting, it is just, I don't know, like that that's like a structural story thing that happens in the script phase um, that makes it work, I guess.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that.
1: Yeah, um, Do you, how much did you like this stuff on like doing bits in you know something we've complained about a lot in MCU movies is like the bathos and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there's obviously a lot of humor in this one, you know. Um, I think it's a, how does that?
0: I think it's appropriately partitioned, right? Like there is no, like so so the the hallmark of like really like bad bathos is like when it undercuts a dramatic moment, right? Like the classic yep. example we, talk, we we always talk about is like, you know, Mark Ruffalo um, Bruce, as Bruce Banner is like, you know, you know realizes what he has to do in order to like save the day. And it's, you know, jump out of this thing, jump out of this copter onto the Rainbow Bridge and become the Hulk. And he kind of face plants on, on, onto the Rainbow Bridge. And it's like, okay, you've undercut the moment, right? All the funny moments are positioned such that they are not undercutting, undercutting dramatic moments, I think, right? Like, they are yep. in the appropriate place, right? Like, you know, like, I saw that the freaking, like, um, you know, she's a good dog moment happening from a mile fucking away, right? Like, I knew it was, like, I knew the, that that moment was going to happen at some point. And then, like, as soon as, as soon as they were standing, like, like you know, um, uh, Sean Gunn's character, because I never remember the name of, um, is like starting to do his like whistle thing where he's like clearly going to do it right and we get we get we get the cameo from Yandu from beyond the grave right like oh and the last moment of this is you know cosmo's going to come in and and you know and he's going to say she's a good dog and that's going to be the thing right like or, or at some point right like you know either mm-hmm. she i didn't you know i didn't know which order it was going to happen it was like that's what's going to happen and of course that, that that's what happens um but that is like not a high drama moment right like that is like you know, a little self-contained moment and its a resol- res- resolution of kind of like a setup, and it's like funny and heartwarming and it's fine, right? But it's not like you know, um, it's it's not like in in the middle of like you know the high evolutionary screaming at Rocket, right? Like you know, Starlord says like heads up and like throws a basketball at his head or something, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, that would have been. Real dumb, but it would have absolutely been an, in a worse version of this movie. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up uh, Sean and Cosmo because I think that another thing this movie does really well is resolve kind of everybody's ongoing bullshit, right, um, which you get a lot in the in like kind of like the denouement right, um, but I actually really appreciated for Drax what I, I had a dumb issue with Drax, which is that the the law of drax's comedy from before was getting broken a lot here which really bothered me on a dumb level like on a this doesn't matter to anyone but me but i just noticed like a million times where he uses some sarcastic euphemism that he would not use because he cannot perceive sarcasm do you know what i mean yeah um
0: you're like, like it happens all the time
1: or, or a metaphor is really yeah. what it is right like you know he is he is an entirely literal being he cannot understand figurative speech um that that got broken all the time, but I sort of don't care, right because he actually did get a real resolution to his pretty minor overall character arc, but like the thing of where he's just a dad, the kids love him because he's funny, you know and um and that was like and that was nice but I feel like everybody got that right um you know uh even these minor characters like Cosmo kind of gets her heroic moment she gets called a bad dog and then gets called a good dog right you know it's a, it's like all that stuff goes together and is and is satisfying so even though like kind of the core drama is really owned by um you know Rocket and Nebula um and Star Lord, right? Everyone on the team and in the intervening universe gets their own little arcs to play out, right? Adam Warlock gets this. Um uh even Groot gets it to a, a sort of minor extent. Um and it's just like that's that's nice. That's good. I like that. That's cool.
0: Yeah, no, I I I I agree. Um, um I so in terms of like, you know, salvaging like stuff from the previous stuff, right? Like I think Adam Warlock was kind of like the best you could hope to do with him um mm-hmm. uh and so you know and maybe he's got a bigger role moving forward or whatever but um uh like i thought that i thought i thought adam warlock was well utilized for what he was right like you know just like little pieces little bits and pieces of stuff since he's like didn't really have any setup didn't really have any like you know he, his setup was like set setup I, I think it was in two right where they kind of like forewarn him and then it just kind of like happens right like um i thought you know obviously he doesn't get a ton of screen time but i thought it was like well done enough that it that it uh uh that i felt it felt good and if it kind of like you know drove home the themes right it's like you know you know the guardians of the galaxy are ultimately good guys and kind of like like you know there's like not a lot of moral ambiguity about the guardians of the galaxy right they are good guys right like they might be a little bit salty and rough edged but they are good guys and you know they get, like, you know, Adam Warlock just kind of, like, they don't kill him. And it's, like, why? And then, like, you know, um, again, another thing you could have seen coming from a mile away, right? Like, oh, uh, Star-Lord is going to jump off of the ship and he's not, uh, you know, I was, like, I when I saw that he had to go back for the for the uh, Zune, I was, like, oh, this is where Adam Warlock comes and saves saves him. In fact, I was a tiniest bit annoyed because I thought it was so obvious and they pulled it out, they, you know, they, they stretched it out so much. I'm, like... Adam Warlock is going to solve this problem, right? Just like fucking get on with it, right? But like you know, maybe maybe I'm a little too media savvy for a little bit more media savvy than your average viewer or something like that. But uh, you know, I thought it was the best you could hope to do with him, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's it really
1: kind cool. of um, you know like uh, it's like getting a 100 on a on a piece of homework, you know? Yeah, it's like you did it. It is not a very important part of your final grade for the semester, but, like, you you got all the points you could out of it. Good job, kind of yeah, thing, right? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I like Adam Warlock uh, as a sort of uh, a continuation of a theme, which is that, like, the villains are actually, like, if you treat the villains with empathy, empathy, they become good guys, right? Which is something that happens twice. Um, Kind of from Guardians 1 to Guardians 2 um, with Nebula and um, Mantis joining the team. Um, And then doing the same thing in Guardians 3, having the guy from sort of the bad guy from 2 or like the setup bad guy from 2 becoming a good guy in 3. Like that just is in keeping with everything that I want it to be in keeping with. And I'm I'm super down and super fine with that. Um, It's funny, too, because I... This is like a media poison moment. This is like a, we are poisoned by the way that we consume this media. I loathed this conversation I was overhearing as I was walking out of the theater where people were talking about, oh, those are the new guardians. Like, those are the new guardians. Do you think they're going to do a new movie with them? What is that going to be like? It's like, buddy, that's not the point. The point is not that they set up a new team of guardians, right? And that team consisted of, right? This group of people. The point is that some people kind of reached their conclusion with the Guardians, but Rocket didn't, Groot didn't, right? And there are new people who need the Guardians and are. Adopted into the ecosystem. Like, Adam Warlock needs the Guardians um, and becomes a true Guardian at the end of this movie because in the same way that becoming a Guardian was a healing process for someone like uh, Star-Lord and he eventually realized that he moved past it, right? The same sort of thing happened with um, Adam Warlock, right? And I just, like... The idea that it was set up I felt like was really... obvious It's not set up. There's no Guardians 4 featuring Rocket's team, right? It is just leave... But that is the natural state of where these characters are left. In the same way that it's kind of the natural state for, like, Mantis to be left as the sort of leader of nowhere or whatever else. Um, and, I don't know, I just wanted to roast those guys because I hated that hearing them talk about it as we were walking out no, of the theater.
0: <laughs> no, that 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 is fair. And, like, I'm not going to lie, I was wondering how they were going to play that because I did notice that the... Um, the last shot of the movie was the legendary Star-Lord will return, not the Guardians will return, so, you know, who knows where that, where, where that will go, um, but, you know, um, uh, like, but, like, that's, like, like, you're right, like, that, that, that's, like, maybe, like, I don't know, I don't think there's any problem with, like, idly speculating about, like, if they're gonna do something with that, but, like, you know, I, I, uh, I, I agree. The, the, the point is about, is about the group, um. Although I do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I am mildly interested. I, I did notice the same thing, right? That Star Lord is the one who is going to return, but not anyone else. I don't I don't know what that means. Uh and I kind of don't want to or care all that much. Like, maybe he joins the Avengers? That's probably the best that I could come up with for what what you do with a Star Lord who is on Earth reconnecting with with his grandpa,
0: right? Um Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just kind of like uh, you know people who like Chris Pratt, he will still be around, right? Like, um... Mm. Uh, just... Like, if I want to put on my, like, cynical hat, it's, like, you know, he is at a point where he could just exit the MCU and given the number of people that are, like, my time with the MCU is done, right? Like, you know, um... I think Hemsworth said he doesn't want to do any more Thor stuff, even though he's, like, not explicitly Uh. out. Um... Uh... Or at least, like, he was tired of it or something like that. Um, even though he's kind of, like, potentially got, like, off-ramp. Um, but that's, like, my cynical take. Um, also, you know, James Gunn is running the DCEU at this point. So, you know, is he, you know, uh, is a Guardians 4 even good if it's not by James Gunn? Or even, like, does it lose its luster? Because it's not uh, James Gunn. Um, you know, that kind of thing. But... Like, I'm more interested in that and kind of like a, you know, backroom politics version of things than I am, they am from like a pure plot version of things. Because, uh, you know, um, the MCU, uh, I guess, will never die and we're going to get these movies forever or something. And some of them will be good like this one and some of them will be Black Widow. Um, yep. <laughs> some of them will be Shang-Chi
1: yay yes. who's excited yeah I do think that there is a, a version of speculating that's fun uh, for instance at the end of uh, Avengers uh, Age of Ultron right you get a setup for a different uh, Avengers team I, which they didn't even run with right because they immediately just go right into Civil War essentially um, which just completely re, you know writes the structure of that whole team Um But the thing I want – the thing I really wanted um, was that moment of emotional resolution, I guess, which is why I'm, like, protective kind of of it or whatever. Like, I think it's – I don't know. I think it's fair to speculate on something uh, like the Justice League or the Avengers. This is always a fun moment, right? A a member of the Avengers leaves. There's a little roster shuffle. You get new people on the team. They're doing new stuff, right? Um, You can imagine a team that doesn't have Captain America and Tony Stark And how that gets led, right? There's a version of the Justice League that's led by um, kind of Superman. There's a version that's led by Black Canary. There's a version that's led by Aquaman for a while. Um, There's a version that's led by Batman. There's a counter team where Batman gets pissed off with the Justice League. So he starts his own superhero team called the Outsiders with Blackjack and hookers. And it's just like that stuff is fun. um, But I don't think it's fun for this moment or this movie. Uh which is why it felt very uh Yeah. Uh my, I don't know. My most cynical
0: yeah. my most again, my most cynical take of this is like Guardians then the new Guardians are going to be like a Disney plus series that like has ten episodes or something, right? Like
1: Yeah, yeah. sure. True.
0: <laughs> Where they can do Monster of the Week stuff instead of, you know, uh instead of instead of having to deal with like, you know, the the, the the politics of of having James Gunn not direct something right like that stuff of a uh, of, uh, format switch that so you don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah, I
1: mean, the I guess my final thing about Guardians Three is that I feel real good about the future of the the DC universe uh, being in James Gunn's hand. Um, this guy is batting a thousand. I don't think that anybody has had a run quite like James Gunn going from Guardians One, Two, Three. Um, the Peacemaker TV show, which to be fair I haven't watched, but everybody says it's good, um, and the Suicide Squad, which everybody loved, right, um, including both of us. Uh, like he, he's just he's he's killing it, I guess. Uh, which feels you know, which feels good.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just because like uh, I have not. I don't think I've seen any of his like pre, uh, like 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 movie forty three or. Uh, any of his pre-Guardian stuff. Wait,
1: no way. He did Movie 43?
0: uh uh-huh. He was a writer on Movie 43, it looks like.
1: Oh, my God. You're kidding. Movie 43 is a famously panned movie. Really? Um, He, he directed yeah. Movie
0: 43 as well. That was the thing he no did. he directed it the year before Guardians. That was like the oh
1: oh 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 oh. oh. I understand. Movie forty three. Okay, so this makes sense. Movie movie forty three is a um is like a it's like a uh, a parody compendium movie or whatever. Um, but it's like a bunch of little skits. Um, and now that I'm looking at it. A lot of people directed oh, bits seven. in movie forty three, so he did a bit. But like Elizabeth Banks did a bit, um, Bob Onenkurt did a bit, right? So yeah, he is one of a number of different people who were in this movie. Um,
0: uh, yeah, because I, okay, I, I know that like he was known for like doing like gross out stuff at some point. Like maybe that's mm-hmm. maybe that like, one of his credits is PG porn. So you know uh um he directed slither as well maybe that's that's i I know he's he, he like you know some of his like around the time that like he got booted off of guardians because people decided to be mad on the internet right was yeah. like, stuff from his era when he was like super edgy right like and, th- yep. and that's I, that's I know what his sort of uh, initial stuff was um so yeah, uh but yes, I agree since guardians. It's been, what, Guardians, Guardians 2, Suicide Squad, Peacemaker. I did not watch. Did you watch the holiday special? Because I never did. Mm-mm, I never did. Yeah. Um, upcoming. Uh,
1: yeah, I just, uh, just to put the down in this coffin because it's funny. Um, Movie, 43, Movie 43 was panned by critics, with some considering it one of the worst films ever made. It received an average of 18 out of 100 on Metacritic with on 23 critics and on Rotten Tomatoes to film as a 4% positive rating. Uh, Brian Gibson describes more movie 43 as an execrable waste cooked up by a hell's kitchen of directors and writers. It's death of laughter by committee. It's title because it's one of those many asteroids out there, a dismal chunk of rock hurtling through an empty void without purpose. Uh, I have watched movie 43 and I remember thinking it was kind of so bad that it's good. You know, like sort of like the room, not, not a, a very different version of the room. Um the room is so bad that it's good in kind of a, like what is up with Tommy Wiseau, right? Movie 43 is how on earth did they get Hugh Jackman to say these lines?
0: It's like that bad.
1: Uh, I would really be interested to know which bit James Gunn directed uh, in, in, in here. What
0: says on IMDb? Bezel? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh or Bezel maybe? I haven't seen the movie so I I, I don't know what You know,
1: I uh, maybe I'll watch, maybe I'll watch movie 43 at some point. I'm sure it's on some streaming service somewhere and I and I can find it. It is in, it is incredible the the kind of talent that they got for this like a bunch of famous people are in this movie. Um and they just have them doing the most wild things and I was like, is this the point of the movie that we're going to get like Academy Award winner Kate Winslet to say the word shart or whatever it was, you know, like like <laughs> is that?
0: Okay, yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, I, I I don't know anything. I did not know the can of worms I was going to open when I said movie 42. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, speaking of fucking well, The Room, in the previews to my fucking movie, apparently The Room is getting like, like one of those like phantom – you know you know how they sometimes run old films in the theaters, right? Like every year – I know AMC and Regal both do Ghibli Fest every year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where they just like run all the Ghibli films because people love the Ghibli films. Um, fucking Tommy Wiseau is re-releasing The Room through like Fandango, right? Like on on like in theaters for one day year this year, and he's there's like I right, I hope you come see my movie The Room in theaters again this year, right? Like fucking ridiculous, you know? Okay, I did not know that. Actually. Yeah, I only knew that because it played before the fucking movie, right? Like, um, speaking of which, this is the first time like. This is the first time i would seen anything about the Marvels, and uh, I don't know if I care about that movie at all. I'm sure we will see it once we see it, but, like...
1: I mean, it seems like I need to watch the TV show. I don't know. Ms. Marvel is a weird thing. Uh, She is a very popular comic book series um, that came out after I had kind of quit reading comics. So this is sort of in a position where I don't know what I'm looking for for what i'm going to see do you know what i mean yeah um so
0: yeah my i don't there's some characters that feel like they don't translate well to real life and like from the like little trailer i saw like that was before this movie i got kind of like america chavez vibes for like you know the the real life character just like doesn't quite map to the comic book character at least what i know about it right i felt that way about about this version of kamala khan Um, and maybe that's just a matter of like you know like, maybe it's also hard to do Reed Richards, right, just because, like, you know, the how they look just, like, doesn't quite work, right, without, like, the, the appropriate amount of, right? Like, the Hulk can work because he's always, like, CG, whereas, like, somebody who's, like, close enough to human but kind of needs to not look human, like, I think it'd be really hard to do, like, Plastic Man as a movie because you couldn't, like, have him be, like, a CG Plastic Man the entire time, right? Um and he looks like a normal person, you'd be like, this kind of feels like not stylized enough to be like the comic book character that I'm picturing in my head. Um, I don't know maybe I'm crazy, but like that that that's kind of my my thought that was my impression about what when i when I saw the this, you know the, the trailer for the Marvels um
1: yep no i I agree with you hundred ten percent I'm down that makes sense.
0: Um, yeah, I think the TV series comes out in like a week or two on Disney plus. Um, okay yes see- uh, you know Nick Fury secret wars I,
1: I have been watching uh some of these things to kind of like catch up obviously I caught up on the boys catching up on Ted Lasso or whatever so I I plan to get into some of this stuff like the Falcon and Winter Soldier uh in the not too distant future but I uh, I we'll thought see.
0: Loki was good I, I don't know if you've seen Loki yet or not but
1: I uh, yeah I have not seen Loki I had intended to get started on Loki but I kind of never uh I never got there uh, I need to do Peacemaker also. Yeah, right? me too.
0: Um, yeah, I have to do Mandalorian season two. So you know, I'm. I'm <laughs> oh my right. god! True. I'm, god, what
1: a you know. It's funny how insanely huge the Mandalorian was to have fallen off so hard, right? Like Mandalorian season three came out, I didn't hear a fucking peep.
0: Yeah, I heard. So I, I basically got, I read headlines from Eric Kane, and basically it seemed like it was started good. Low in the middle and ended strong. Um,
1: Okay. I heard that people really hated it because of the book of Boba Fett. Um, Yeah, the book
0: of Boba Fett was apparently bad.
1: Um, yeah, there's something about the Book of Boba Fett where it kind of serves as, like, the Mandalorian season 2.5 because uh, it ties in a bunch with what's going on with the Mandalorian. And if you don't watch that, you won't understand the Mandalorian. People are pissed about this. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. I, I haven't digged into, dug into any of this. Obviously, the last Star Wars thing. Honestly, I've been a great place with Star Wars. Me and Star Wars are getting along fine, okay, because I watched Andor, and now it's just the greatest. Like, you know? <laughs>
0: I need to watch Andor too. Uh Yeah i' it is weird to me to like have fallen so out of love with with Star Wars, like I used to adore star Wars, and i don't I don't hate it now. I just like there would be a time where like you know Star Wars thing happening, I'm there, right like uh yep, yeah, you know what fucking I can since we're gonna transfer into our weeks, I like saw this at like an antique store. I don't know where they got it from, but like I picked this this like piece of this concept art print. This is the uh Oh, look at that the, from
1: yeah. From from the fanist.
0: I'm like, this is fucking rad. I'm gonna pick this up. But like I just like I don't know. George Lucas is an auteur. Apologize to George.
1: Um, Apologize to George. I agree. Yeah,
0: I also think that um,
1: I don't know. Like it's funny. I, the the two server's things I've done recently were the Obi Wan series, which I liked quite a lot. There's a lot of prequel sort of fan service, um, uh, or not prequel fan service? That's actually a really bad way of putting it. It is a movie that takes seriously the prequels and the drama of the prequels in the way that I take seriously. The, the movies of the prequels and the drama of the prequels, which is why I liked it a lot. Uh, I do know that people didn't like it, and I think that they're dumb. Uh, <laughs> and then Andor, obviously, um, which also takes, in a wildly different direction, also takes the drama of the prequels very seriously um, in terms of, like, the Senate politics and everything like that, um, but just also features, like, a really... <sighs> <laughs> it shows really good. Shows Honestly... Yeah, that show's really good. Um, so yeah, I don't know I'm in mean, I'm in a good place with Star Wars, but me and Star Wars are like we're kind of. Have you ever had a fight with a friend and you just you're you're kind of not talking? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you, the last time you and I talked, we fought for like two hours. Okay, things are a little tense. You we apologized maybe a little bit, right? Um, things will
0: eventually be fine, but not right now. Yeah,
1: we're keeping our distance. No pressure. We're you know to to do whatever because you don't want to tread on any like open wounds right that's sort of where i'm at with 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 star wars i feel like
0: (laughs) yeah no i mean i don't know i don't know what the next like star wars thing is going to be and if it's gonna like the fact there's no like like hype cycle around star wars i think is good um and this, the the fucking Galactic Star Cruiser thing is shutting down, so you know. I
1: saw that. Yeah, that thing
0: was dumb as fuck, though. Yeah. So. Yeah. A cannon, though, right? Like you know, <laughs> like sprite, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> <coughs> yep. Yep.
1: God. Uh, anyway, so what is uh, what is happening with 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 your week? Tell me tell me all about it. Yeah.
0: So uh, big things I did this week were uh, played Diablo and play Street Fighter. Um, in terms of like nerd stuff, you know. Okay, let's talk
1: about let's talk about Street Fighter because you're going to talk about Diablo and I'm going to want to talk about Diablo. I'm sure. So yeah,
0: so uh, Street Fighter, not much to say. I can, I'm still running sets, right? Like, um, people are figuring out tech, right? Like JP is super oppressive, was super impressive early, and people are slowly figuring out how to deal with this bullshit. He is like, so JP is like a super hardcore zoner that also has like a bunch of tools to deal with like traditional anti zoning stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but like people are figuring out how to deal with the tech right like he's not great at the mid-range you there are more ways to get through his fireballs than like you might initially think um and it's just gonna be a matter of learning him as i think the current thing um people are mad about e honda right like your classic scrub quote like e honda for the first time is like a like e honda historically has just kind of been like an e honda's here too type character right um you know notable because like you mash punch to do his hundred hand slap um they, mm. they on rid of that input. I think it's on a quarter circle now for your for your classic controls. Um but his headbutt is really strong um in this game. Um essentially like his powerful move went from being his hundred hand slap to being his uh being his headbutt. Um it's apparently a very big noob killer. That and the Blanca's ball. Um and so all the people who don't know how to deal with it are mad. Um and all the people that do know how to deal with it are are laughing. Um but uh uh, you know, he's, uh, like, like, what was the tweet I saw? is like, um, so he's like, Honda players, what's your favorite flavor of crayon? And then somebody drew a response, like, is Honda holding a record? It's like, I saved the red one for you. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really funny. Yeah, pe- people, uh, people, uh, mad about, about Honda, but you know, it's, um, you know, um, I am not particularly highly ranked. Um, I don't know if you saw, but Trin Immortal was running sets with Jamie, which I thought was fun to watch because like, it was like, oh, I can understand this content now. Um, <laughs> um, and Trin Immortal is not particularly good. Like, you know, Trin Immortal was always kind of like a, a mid-level league player, right? Like, best of mm-hmm. his friends. You know, kind of, I guess, Basement King is like the way I'd put it, even though that doesn't really work for... Um, are you familiar with the concept of Basement King?
1: It's like you're the best in your friend group kind of thing. Yeah,
0: so like... the. Tr- the traditional Basement King definition is, like, this is, like, pre-internet, right? Like, you were the guy who consistently pushed people's shit in at, like, Smash Brothers with your group of friends in, like, your friend's basement, right? Or in your basement. But then you go to
1: a- Evo and get, like, bodied in yeah. the first or round.
0: Or you, you go to a local and you get bodied hard, right? Cause, like, right, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, that like, obviously doesn't quite work in the modern internet age since everybody's against everybody. But, like, um, Trimorant kind of had that, like, you know, he's clearly better than his group of friends that he plays with. Um, so he gets to kind of like call the shots, but he's like not the world's greatest player or whatever. Like I think at his height he was like plat or something maybe. Um, and similarly with Street Fighter, or none of these playing against people, but like you know he's like silver. I am worse than him. I am like working my way up through iron, and part of that is um, uh, I am like still not used to my uh, my leverless controller, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm learning some of that. But like you know he is definitely better than me, but like. Better than me and not, like, in a way that, like, I feel like I can learn from him, like, as a stepping stone type of deal, right? Like, like I could go watch, I think his name is Snake Eyes, play Zangief and, like, not understand what's happening. Or, like, not be able to implement any of that, right? Like, you can get some stuff from that. But, like, watching, like, a mid-level player I think is much more useful for me um, personally because, like, I'm not dealing with the same types of problems, right? Like, um, oh, man, there's just, like... There's this like weird problem, and this this happens in a lot of games. It's like you can get really good at like noob stomping, but that won't carry you into the higher ranks of things, right? Like, this is like being like a really good Yi player, right? At least when we were playing League of Legends, right? Um, yeah. Or like the the example I have heard is like, um, this is like a, a story I might I heard it on like a podcast. It's like you know, in wrestling, one guy, like there are these two guys that were learning how to how to wrestle, and one guy like did this like big grapple move and would like like take people out at once and the other person just kind of like struggled with the fundamentals and didn't like in their first year they wrestled the first guy won a bunch of rounds and like did really well the second guy didn't but in their second year people knew how to deal with the first guy's bullshit and like he didn't really win anything whereas the second guy had like built up enough that he was like consistently starting to win again so you know um that kind of thing whereas like you know um I, get a, I know I get away with a lot of bullshit and iron that I shouldn't be able to, right? Like, you can just kind of, like, grab people because people are trying trying to hit buttons. And uh, you don't, you know, that's, like, you know, that's uh, lesson, like, lesson number one is, like, stop hitting buttons, right? Like, you know, anybody anybody who knows what they're doing, you just, like, hit throw a button out, they will block it and punish the fuck out of you, right? And uh, um, I know that intellectually, but I'm not quite there, like, in practice because... Um, there's kind of, like, a level of, like, the game that you, like, play in your mind and then, like, having to execute that, right? Like, big part of my problem is execution, right? Like, I don't – I can't, like, consistently pull off combos and whatnot, but, you know.
1: No, I understand this completely because this is Hearthstone, right? You're, you're essentially speaking – the, the Hearthstone is the same thing, right? Where it's like, oh, for instance, I was talking about my um, super deck, my um, uh, control warrior deck, right, that I was playing – um, the thing that made that deck interesting and good in a way that people didn't expect is I was playing a homebrew deck, you know, version of things where they weren't expecting it, right? Because I had I was playing a deck that maybe they were familiar with the, the the core concept, but I had ripped out half the engine and I had replaced this with this kind of weapon engine that was unique to me. So I was doing stuff with weapons that they were just like not prepared for, um, and uh, I was playing against metadex, right, and I have perfect knowledge of the metadex. I know the thirty, like I've never played a second of pure paladin, but I know the thirty card list by heart, right, and so I know how to punish the like a a a low. Let's say let's say a high diamond. I'm probably high diamond MMR, maybe legend MMR, probably uh, player or whatever, right? I know how to punish a. That player playing pure paladin because they're playing a deck list I understand completely. I'm playing a deck list. They they have no conception for what I'm doing, right? Um, and uh, and I feel like there's a lot of power in that sort of uneven matchup of like mastery of what the your opponent is in the meta. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, and p- part yeah. of the problem here too is like you know, at least with like Hearthstone, right? Like, at high high elo Hearthstone, right? Like. You probably have some people who are just kind of, like, like net decking and kind of, like, coasting off the power of the deck. And that's kind of where you get some of those imbalances. In, like, a fighting game, too, especially at the lower levels, it's even worse than that. Because, like, you know, I am playing the big muscle lady. I want to do the big punch, right? The big punch is super, like, you know, super minus on block or whatever, right? Like, Or it's, like, super it's super telegraphed. And if you're not, like, you know, if you're not an idiot, you see it coming and you parry. Or you block and you punish. Or like you know, you jump over it and you throw it or something, right? Or like when you stand, like you know, the big one is like when I stand up. Half the time, I just like throw out a throw because people are gonna like throw out like a a slow moving normal, and it's like it's gonna beat it. It's gonna beat it, and it's not gonna they're not gonna be expecting it. Um, and I'm quickly getting to the point where I'm starting to like hit people who are like who know how that all goes, but it's like you know. A little bit too much offense, not enough kind of like technical mastery, and you know, if that's me too. It's just you no know, matter of moving through that, yeah,
1: yeah. I feel that for sure. It's like, um, you know, there are certain decks in the metagame which are built to uh do things and they will just punish other you know, like other archetypes, which is part of what I'm farming a little bit when I'm playing an off-meta deck, right? When my deck is built to create a 2028 20, taunt that you can't target with spells or hero powers that just hard stops certain things because they're not built to deal with that as a threat, right? Um, and, uh, And I feel like that when you're in the low levels of like a fighting game you're kind of in the same sort of situation right where people aren't playing optimally and that that can kind of like mess you up in a way um or and you can scam people right you can get away with shit right that you wouldn't normally be able to because like they're they don't have the appropriate counter
0: yeah scamming shit like that feels like that feels (laughs) like like you know um it works a little differently in fighting games so you don't really have the power to like you can't really scam high-level players because, like, they know what's going to, like, you know, it's not like you can, like, switch out a move set for a character, at least not in, like, you know, the normal way you play Street Fighter, right? Um, uh, But you, like, you can scam lower-level players who just don't know how to deal with certain things. So, like, yeah, I think that's a a good, uh...
1: Yeah, no, scam scam shit is, uh... Scam shit in Hearthstone is, like, I'm playing a really synergistic combo that, like, breaks if I draw one card, Right? And, like, 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 for instance, uh, I talked about a Warlock deck I was playing called Chattius Warlock, um, where you're playing Thaddeus and you're putting him in a slime or whatever. That's a scam deck, right? Basically, do I have the slime? Do I have Thaddeus on turn five? Can I slime, activate, play Thaddeus, play a bunch of one-mana, ten-mana cards, right? And just, like... No, no one can respond to that. No one can oh, beat man. that, right? But the problem is that happens one out of every five games, like you know. So
0: that's that is super interesting because so um, I uninstalled Marvel Snap this week mostly because I just think it was taking too much of my time. But like, that's interesting because like Marvel Snap like systemizes scam decks, right? Because like you retreat at one cube oh. on decks on like where you don't have your scam, right? Like, but you like. Boost up, and you play out your scam when you've got your scam in hand, right? Like there's, there's a lot of decks that like work like that, right? Like Galactus is a deck that works like this, right? Like you figure out a way to cheat out Galactus early, and you like destroy half the board, and then you have some closer. Because so the way Galactus works is you throw him down. If you you have to throw him down in a location where you don't have any other uh, things,
1: but then he kills the other two locations. Yeah, he blows that right? up
0: the other two locations. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have.
1: Funnily enough, I've heard about Galactus because. He's such a hard scam.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but, but like, there are a couple decks that kind of, like, are, like, you know, because it's funny because, like, the game almost encourages you to play a scam deck, right, or, like, you know, like, a late winning deck, because, like, if you are playing, like, solid tempo, right, and you, like, build up, like, and you're clearly going to win, your opponent's going to retreat before you can, like, you know, snap, right? You have to snap early Mm. when you're not sure about it, right? Whereas, like with the scam r- r- with your Galactus deck or your other, yeah, there's a, kind of, mm, a couple other things that work like this, right? Like, you know, you draw, like there's like a, a vanilla deck where like um, Patriot um, gives plus two to all cards without text. And then like you play mystique, which copies that. And then like, you know, you have a bunch of other stuff and then you play like Ultron, which fills the rest of your location with one ones. Right. Like, um, and that kind of like can bomb slate and like you can predict it a little bit, but, um, or, like, um... That's really
1: interesting. Yeah, because one of the things about scam decks in Hearthstone is you're not supposed to play them, right? Like, so, for instance, the Vicious Syndicate podcast, which is, like, the the high-end... These are the guys who are, like, essentially data scientists for what high-end Hearthstone looks like, right? Um, who, I've, who I've referred to in, like, previous iterations of this stuff. Um, they tell you not to play scam decks, because the point of playing a Hearthstone deck is you want to play a deck that wins essentially 51 or higher percent of the time, right? This tier 2 tier 1 deck kind of thing. It has favorable matchups against other decks in the in the format. Um, and it'll tell you a bit about what those matchups are like, and so it's like, "Oh, well if you're fighting a lot of control priests, add this card because it adds 5% to your win rate, right? If you're if you're playing this thing." It's all about that, it's all about that win rate. Scam decks have garbage win rates, right? But they feel fun to play because when you pull off your scam, it just is like God, that's satisfying, right? But the thing about Marvel Snap that's interesting, in Hearthstone, a game of Hearthstone is only ever worth one win or one loss, but you can have a game of Snap that is worth eight wins, right? Um, If you, you know, obviously that's a rarity, right, if you Snap all the way or whatever. But, like, because you can can gain more in a single game, and your deck is, even if your deck is built around a 20% win rate, right, Theoretically speaking, under those conditions, right, yeah. you could still gain MMR. You could still I'm sorry, not MMR, but like rank. you know, rank, whatever. Again. Rank, right? Yeah. Um, you can still gain rank by just playing up your scam games and just getting the fuck out on your off games, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other part of this too is like scams are easy to pull off because like, you know, it's a twelve card deck. You start with effectively four of them, and like, you know, normally you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pull through like most of your deck, right? So like you know, like I got Galactus and I played a few games with him just for fun and like you know, getting the co- so the thing getting the combo off for Galactus is actually relatively easy. The thing is like building the rest of the deck in a way that you can then convert and turn that into a win, which is like not as um, if you maximize. Getting Galactus out, you don't necessarily have the engine to kind of like pull out pull away and win. Oh
1: sure. Like you still lose. Yeah, yeah
0: I love uh like my That is <laughs> the best the best win I ever had is I could like I saw what was happening and I knew like I was like, oh, he's probably running Galactus. And on the turn where he was played Galactus, I played Professor X, like across from him, and Professor X locks down the lane, like doesn't let you play anything. And so like he plays his 6-2 Galactus, and I play my 5-3, probably both off of a wave or something, in the same lane, and it's just locked out, and I like I can't lose, right? Like and so obviously he immediately retreats, so but it's like, oh, fuck you, I got you. Oh, no, I th- I
1: live, I live for moments like that in, in Hearthstone. Um, I did this once against a, uh, or not once, but like recently, uh, I did this once uh, recently against a control priest, where um, I baited out a whirlpool With a, I was talking about the 2028. So, the way that this works is um, there is a six mana, four, eight uh, in the format called Sun Fury Stalwart. Um, Sun Fury Stalwart is like a six mana, four, eight taunt, rush, and he can't be targeted by spells or abilities, which is the important part. and uh, and I had Black Rock and Rolled, so I increased my whole deck by their mana cost. That makes St- Sun Fury Stalwart a 1016, right? And then I had Lorthamard, which doubles all the stats of the minions in your decks. That makes him a 2032, right? So um, I had played a Sun Stalwart in order to bait a piece of, uh, a piece of removal, but in my. Uh, and so I played the 2032 in order to burn through all of this removal that I knew he had that was on creatures, um, in order to get around that essentially elusive text or whatever. Um, But in my hand, I had a zero mana, 40, 48, or something like that. um, Because I had doubled the stats. There's another card called Last Stand. You draw a taunt minion, double its stats, right? So I doubled the 20... I'm sorry, it would have been a 40, 64. So... You know, you blurn through his removal on the first one and then you play the second one and he concedes. And it's like, yes, this is the kind of victory that you want, right? Where you, like, mind game the fuck out of your, you know, out of your opponent. Or I'm also a big fan of combo concede, right? Where you watch someone who is setting up a combo and you just hit them with, like, an unwinnable game state and they perform their combo but their their combo isn't enough to win. And so they just they they pull they they put all the combo pieces in play, they execute the combo and then they concede because they know they're going to lose on board next turn or whatever it is, right?
0: Yeah. No that's uh so much uh, fun. okay yeah. we
1: ended up <laughs> we ended up talking about street fighter and hearthstone or whatever um diablo, diablo 4 is like all that i have been doing um, that is uh, the most what i've been doing yes yeah i am level 57 i'm really deep into what i would call tier 3 uh, where i'm getting closer and closer to proceeding or not proceeding to um, the capstone dungeon in tier 3 which is going to get me into tier 4 which is the the capstone for right now
0: right uh, i think it's torment right now
1: we're in nightmare and i'm getting into torment
0: so are you in nightmare right now uh no I need to do the capstone no, I'm level 49 I, I so uh, as I told buddy before the podcast the, uh, the pre chatter um I hit I finished I hit credits um like an hour before the podcast maybe maybe a little bit earlier than that but and I went and I did the whispering tree in veteran just because that was like the next thing to do and I was curious about it um uh but I am uh, I'm like playing real Diablo now is is, is the way I, I put it sometimes right just because like um, there's, like, it, I know I feel like I shouldn't really be, like, maximizing my gear until, like, you hit, like, it's, like, 50 that's, like, the, the, like, the real cap, or, like, the kind of, like, soft cap, right? Like, um. Yeah, well, so what level are you right now? 49.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 50 is when you get your last skill point and you start getting paragon points. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. and it is also when you start, your item levels are variant, um, and you're still gaining, like, I don't, I don't really know how it works, um, but, like, you're gaining item level 500 to 700, right? And 700 is the higher end. Um, I don't know, I was talking with a friend of mine, he was like, when you get an item level 700 thing, that's like, you know, I don't know, it's good. I'm getting item level 700 stuff now because I've just kind of walked
0: up that item level Yeah, train. You know, I mean, this is, you know, like, like WoW, since, since you know, like like we've said, WoW and Diablo are converging, right? Like, you know... Um, there's like that easy climb, I feel like up to that point. Right. And like, while you're in the easy climb, it feels bad to like burn your nice, uh, your nice aspects. Right. Um, and so, you know, I am, uh, I am holding back on, on like, really like, you know, like turbo, turbo you know, turbo glomping a build together until I get to like a slightly better place. But yeah. Um,
1: uh. are you still running that, uh, that same build from
0: last week? Um, the So, I'm running weapon switching now because I, I found, like, weapon switching legendary. I like the weapon switching build better. Um, I've just switched to a... So, um, I assume that this was, like, a, uh, like, a like a universal thing. Like, do you, does everybody get, like, the ring off of uh, Lilith? Yeah, yeah, the unique ring off of Lilith. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I switched from, like, double swing to upheaval. And I also managed to pick up a couple of maces. So, I'm running uh, bash on two hands um, just for for the combo stuff. Um, uh, uh, and I'm still getting used to that rhythm because my rhythm before was like bash, bash, double swing, and then out of the double swing while they're vulnerable, hit them with the execute, get like big executes. Um, Upheaval obviously doesn't have that vulnerable stuff, but it does have a couple, and it works with a couple of my other legendaries. And it um, the big thing is it hits a large area, and so then I'm proccing the, uh, the refund mechanic um, off the ring. Um, and so I'm getting used to that, but I am running a uh, uh, a a passives build, uh, essentially. Um, although I feel like I am more fragile than I should be, and so I'm part of this too is like, up until I hit like the skill point cap, I was just kind of like throwing points around, and so I might more carefully allocate them and you know go with a little bit more survivability.
1: Um, yeah, I was running a weapon switching build for a long time, uh, and I quite liked it. The third, you were you were so right about the third legendary. I basically, or the third. Uh, ultimate. So I started with Call of the Ancients, and then I was doing a Berserking build for a while. I kind of finished the game with this Berserking build, um, which r- included Wrath of the Berserker. It was basically just all Berserking all the time. I had a Legendary that turns you on fire, and you're just constantly spitting fire damage, right? Um, but the but I ended up trying Iron Arsenal, I think is what it's called, and it's just my favorite shit. Like, it is... I have not switched off it since, even in builds where it's probably correct for me to be running something different, I just keep up with Iron Arsenal. I have put gem slots on all of my weapons so that I could put diamonds in there so that I can increase my ultimate damage. Like It is so dumb and so fun, and I love every second of using Iron Arsenal. Um, I have finally swapped off of Groundstop. I'm not running Groundstop anymore, for, but for a while I was running basically just... Iron Arsenal every 20 seconds, the build, right? Because it was weapon switching all the time to get the, the CDR on, uh, and then Iron... And then, I'm sorry, and then Ground Stomp in order to get more more Iron Arsenals. Um, but I have finally run out of my Ground Stomp legendary, you know, synergies, and I need a little... I ended up going back to the Bleed build, just because the Bleed build is fucking insane for some reason. It is so powerful, and I don't understand why, um... Not that I have looked up any endgame stuff or whatever. I just feel like I never fucking die because there's a legendary that gives you a bunch of damage reduction for each bleeding enemy nearby, um, and then there's a bunch of stuff where you get your rend stacks up. Um, you're taking twenty four percent, so it's like it's like fifty percent DR just with one legendary, one talent point, basically. Um, <clears throat> and then you just bleed everything up and let it and let it all let it all fucking die. Oh, I also got two other things that were fun. One of which was basic attacks have extra attack speed, so yeah. my basic attacks get real fast. Um, and uh, and another one that's every 5 basic attacks your next core does like a bunch of extra damage, right? Um so the idea there is you just um flay 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 and then do a big rend and just everything you hit in that cone. Just bleeds out basically instantaneously. Um, I now found another piece of this, which is when you're berserking, all the damage that you do inflicts a bleed, um, which is my very newest piece of the build. So I have added in a little berserk synergy uh, with the execute. Or back to Death Blow. I eventually got really fed up with Death Blow just because, like, I don't know. It's just like, not getting the reset feels so fucking bad. I get that. Um, uh, but now I basically don't really care whether or not I get a reset. I'm just using it to activate Berserking because it's like, okay, I'm gonna activate Berserking and then I'm gonna iron Arsenal everything in the two, you know, two second window, and I'm gonna put a gigantic sixty percent. It's basically adding sixty percent extra damage onto uh, technically eighty five percent damage onto any big huge ability that you want to do, um, and it just like rips these things apart.
0: Yeah, that sounds so. super fun. Yeah, no, I, I like I've just hit the end game, which is kind of like a real Diablo. Um, yeah. Uh, how did you, what did you think of the story? Oh, I'd love this story. Um, I, the
1: moment, so, the one piece of the story... This is a spoilers, by the way. Yeah, spoilers. Um, yeah, one so, yeah. And I would recommend going unspoiled because it was a very good story. Um, the one thing I'm I'm a little depressed about, but I like the decision, so I'm not mad about this, is that I never... We never fought Inarius, right? Yeah. Um, that Inarius uh, kind of dies in this cutscene where he and Lilith kind of just fight one, one another. But just, like, it was such a good moment and such a classic, like blizzard cutscene that I loved every fucking second of it. Um the moment where she's like the their silence is your judgment is just oh holy fuck. That hits me where I live in terms of just like cool shit that is I don't know. It's it's very it's very like big and operatic and tragic. Um and the way that, you know, he's so sure that he's going to kind of get back into the high heavens, but you know, uh, he doesn't and he's, and he's freaking out. It's just like, this is like what I made for. I loved every, every aspect of that. Um, I also just really love the drama with Mephisto is great. Um, you know, where the, the kind of question is like, Oh, how are we gonna, how are we going to do this thing? Neyrel chooses to imprison Mephisto in the soul stone, um, rather than imprisoning Lilith in the soul stone, um, which is neat and interesting. Um, and now he's, he's out there. This is like our, I, I, I guess, kind of our cliffhanger. My hope is that, you know, Diablo will get kind of more story updates kind of like as we go. Um, I quite like the story of Diablo 3. I know not a lot of people didn't, but I kind of think they're wrong. Um, uh, and I would be really interested to see, I
0: guess, I don't know, is Tyrael dead? Uh, I don't, I, th- I think they say at some point that he, he ran away. Right? Like, he, he, was, he was living with Lorath and Donan, and then he, like, ran away, and they never saw him again. In the Herodric vault.
1: Yeah, because...
0: I'm sure he'll come back at some point, right? Like, he is, like, you know, he's, like, in the, uh, you know, he, he, is, he is wherever he is, right? Like, just kind of, like, un, untracked, I assume. Um
1: Yeah, so cause uh I don't super remember what the the status quo at the end of um Reaper of Souls was with Malthiel, um, though I loved Malthiel. Um
0: Yeah, I don't either. I mean
1: Yeah, whatever, you know. Uh after the Nephilim defeats. Defeated, Malthiel, Tyriel saw his companion in a new light, while the hero would be tempted by corruption. Uh, this sort of doesn't count. Whatever, uh, you know. What I like, I, I want to see a return of some of these classic, uh, you know, Diablo things. Uh, obviously, Diablo himself, as a you know, as the Lord of Terror, is sweet. Um, though I am happy to hang out with uh, uh, Mephisto in the meantime, um, and you know, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. My hope is that, and my and people's expectation seems to be that the seasonal content will advance the story in in like small ways, right? That it, kind of like an expansion patch in WoW would do. So makes sense, you know. So, something
0: yeah. that I thought was uh, neat was um, you in Chaldeum. You can find like the area that used to be the town for Act Two in Diablo Three. Um, like I just happened to be walking through it, and I was like, "Oh, I recognize this place." That's yep. like you
1: know. I thought that was neat. Um. There is a there is a Alcanis, which is a a boss thing in Diablo three because you find out that um, I can't even remember her name. What's the witch that is like secretly working for Diablo and steals the Black Soul Stone? Um, you fight her there, um, and it's like it's just neat to kind of go back to this side of the uh, to like the, this side of the world or whatever and and get into all the nitty gritty.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, especially like seeing like Call Diem, like ruined cuz it was so pretty in the in the last game. That was I thought that was neat. Um
1: Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff with like the Iron Wolves too. You also yeah. fight alongside in the um uh <clears throat> Diablo 3, you know, campaign or whatever. I'm a big fan. Yeah. This game has been pretty great. Made 666 million dollars apparently in revenue. Uh they just like did a whole thing about that cuz it's the The evil number. Yeah,
0: my my favorite was definitely. um, I don't know if you've been following it, but New York was getting uh, uh, you know smoke from Canada. Um, Yeah. And there was this shot that was, um, it was a billboard in New York City that said uh, for Diablo Four that said New York, welcome to hell, and the sky is just bright orange from (coughs) the wildfire blowover. I thought that was super funny. Um, But yeah, but yes. Um, everybody's real mad at Activision Blizzard. They made, you know, th- three quarters of a billion dollars on Diablo, right? Like, like already, right? Like, you know.
1: Uh, to be fair, I feel like this is good. I would make the argument this is good, right? I don't think it is a predatory, you know, uh, like a game or experience. It is, you know, a, an incredibly polished, really well developed game. Um, um, I have, I, I have th- th- some bugs.
0: Like, oh, really? I've hit a number of them. Like, um, uh, I only figured this out because if you exit the game before you finish like a certain story beat, it'll like put you back a little bit. Um, when you are crossing over into the, uh, uh, into the, into the palace where like Nero goes to stab, like the Mm -hmm. first time I did that, I clicked on Nero. She just kind of like walked through the portal. I'm like, What? Um, and then I had to, like I I had to I had to stop playing, and uh, when I came back I had to do that section again And in a cutscene plate that I just didn't get the first time, right? Um, I also got some like weird like there was like definitely a texture missing during the fight with um, the second or like the one of the druids. Um, there's like been there have been like little things and oh the worst one was is. I clicked on the serpent. Um, door while riding a horse, and it despawned me, and I couldn't do anything. And then I had left the game, and I, I would like, freeze on load, like I, like it wouldn't load me into the game. So I had to create another character, load into that character, and then log off, and then I could log back into my original character. Um, so you know, not perfect, but still pretty. Like the systems are polished. I don't know if the game is yeah. know, super well polished um
1: fair enough um yeah so i am i am happy for the success of uh of diablo 4 and i hope it makes that transition that we talked about right into kind of like a solid seasonal battle pass kind of game because i feel like that's like the you know that was the question last week remains i don't know when season one is supposed to start but i have uh you know i got the version with the battle pass because i want to do the the first season yeah so we'll see
0: yeah we will all right well we're way over time um,
1: we are insanely overtime. That's true.
0: Yeah, oh, man. I, there was a thing I wanted just very quickly. There is this video that I will send to you, and I'll try and put in the show notes um, about like it's called like why movies are different now, and it's about like modernism versus postmodernism versus meta modernism. And I think there's a thing there for us to talk about at some point. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I thought that was super interesting. and I had some thoughts on it, but I will leave that as a cliffhanger. Um, you know, meta modernism will return. Uh, to some durst talk about games. Um uh but uh what uh if you'd like to email us about any of the things we talked about in this podcast you can Email playgames at gmail.com or podcast mm-hmm. games dot com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash endurosplay games or youtube dot com slash at some play playgames where these go out live. Um uh we break review us on iTunes or Spotify or you know wherever that you can find podcasts. Um all links are down in the description but do you have anything you're looking to promote
1: I have one small thing that I'm looking to promote that'll be of interest to you a little bit, which is that the new, uh, Oracle for Astrea comes out, or not comes out, but is, we are debuting it on Friday, and I'm doing that on a stream, um, so, uh... You know the the Oracle Spotlight is is gonna debut. I'm gonna play for you know probably about two hours, 10 a.m. Pacific, um, 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, and I'm gonna show off some of the. This is where we're getting kind of into the deeper end of the you know of the game, and it's kind of um, and uh, it's kind of structure. I feel like this character uh, is going to be you know. Polarizing a little bit when people kind of like get there because like so far we've only really talked about like Mooney and Solarius is what most people have seen from the demo. I've obviously debuted Havelius, um, who is built all around Sentinels, the little companions that you that you kind of have. Um, and this third character has, or sorry, fourth character has a bunch of new mechanics that I think are really neat and interesting. And uh, I'm showing that off on Friday. So
0: yeah, I don't care, Shark. All I need is my hammer. <laughs> No, I mean I'll I'll I'll, probably end up checking it out whenever um, this wonderful game gets released. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Okay. Yeah. uh, With that, I'm gonna. But with that, I'm gonna say uh, until next time, your listeners.
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.